moving. Um, Abba Father, thank you so much for each person that's here and uh, Zach choosing to be with us this morning. Folks on uh, Facebook live stream, thank you. God, please bring encouragement and grace right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. Um, it's a wonderful life. All right, now, normally this is a Christmas movie and, and all of that, but what I want to do is, is just give another perspective. Now, this perspective is not original with me. Uh, full credit goes to Paul Batura and Monica Hess uh, as columnists and what they caught on this movie. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna borrow that. But full credit to them. I have made some uh, additions to to their work, but I think it's really interesting. So let's talk about Mary Bailey. All right. And the idea here is that when you see it's a wonderful life. Patch, it's all about George Bailey, right? He's the hero of the story, the hero struggles and somehow triumphs in the end. But it's Mary who's in the background kind of holding things together. And I wanted to focus on Mary, all right? So here's some observations about Mary Hatch Bailey. Number one, she never describes Bedford Falls as a crummy little town. She doesn't say that. That's something George says. George's view of the town is that I can't wait, Patch, to do what? The dust and see the world, you know. It's, it's, it's like the town is so bad, it, he's got nasty town on his feet and he wants to knock it off so he can get out of here and go where real life happens. Real life happens outside of Bedford Falls from George's perspective. But from the perspective of Mary, real life happens in Bedford Falls. That is where life happens, okay? And she never says her town is crummy. She sees the old Granville house at 320 Sycamore as a perfect home for a family. In fact, she says, it's full of romance, that old place. I'd like to live in it. And what does George say? I wouldn't live in that place as a ghost, that old worn-out Victorian. Yeah. How's that for perspective? You know, She sees this literally beat-up old Victorian, and she goes, oh, my goodness. It's full of romance. It's full of memories and history and potential. Yeah. She sees a house. She, she wants to live in it, have a family there. George wants to run from it. She knows singing Buffalo Gals is a great boundary song when you're on a spontaneous date. <laughs> you laugh because you say, um, Buffalo Gals, don't you come out tonight? Yeah, she does like, okay, we're hitting the break. We're going to ride the break right now. Time for a song. And uh, how about this one? She uses her honeymoon mummy, money, mummy. Uh, she uses her honeymoon money to save the Bailey building alone. It's run on the bank, heavy rain, all symbolic of the bad stuff that's happening. Potter's trying to make his move, and, and George is panicked. And all these people are in, in the, the bank building wanting money, and George is, uh, remember, the money's in your house, and in your house, and yours, and, and come on, Potter's waiting to buy, we got to keep a cool head, and he's trying to talk the crowd down, the angry, do we need to bring in police, you know, it's going to be bad down there, 
And then what happens? Mary comes in with a fistful of money, fistful of money and they've been saving this up. Oh my goodness. Finally, George is going to get out of town. Finally have his dream. And she comes in with a fistful of cash and dispenses it out. If you remember the scene, the woman who plays the grandma on the Waltons is uh, featured in that film. Great, great moment. She believes a wonderful life isn't about a passport filled with travel stamps or being a decorated war hero. She doesn't suffer from FOMO. She suffers from JOMO. I realize that some of you may not be as culturally astute as I am. Uh, no, those cool words and stuff. What, what is FOMO? What is JOMO? Oh, wait, young people don't know. Can we just appreciate this moment right now? Oh, thank you, Lord. I needed some encouragement today. The joy of missing out. <laughs> did you? I did. Oh, and you're just a teenager. You're just... just... Wisdom coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because here's the deal. When you th- we got to say no to something, right? If you've got a giant yes inside of you, your life is ruined. You've got to have a balance between the yeses and nos. You've got to know to have boundary and, and realize it's okay to miss out on some stuff. It's all right. Um, she mothers four children, Janie, Pete, Tommy, and the ever-precious Zuzu and her petals, while remodeling the old Granville house, and she helps run the USO, all without complaining. Wow. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Without complaining about how crummy this crummy little town is. Just a few more, and then I want to turn to you. She doesn't need an angel named Clarence Oddbody to help her gain appreciation for the wonderful life she's been enjoying all along. Wow. A wise woman builds her house. A foolish one tears it down with her own hands. She's got the courage to confront her husband. When George brings home his foul work mood with him, she says, why must you torture the children? I like that. I like that. When, when men get caught up in their crummy little view of this crummy little life and all their crummy problems in this crummy town and everything's so crummy, it, you wonder, wow, I hope you enjoy your fine and pleasant misery that you're in and takes that foul mood home and then starts punishing everybody in the house. She's got the guts to confront him. And by the way, nails it. The way you treat the kids is emotionally torturous. Stop. I like that. She's got guts. And after Uncle Billy's botched deposit that leads to a visit from a bank examiner, which threatens prison for George, what does she do? She prays. And she calls friends for help, as opposed to check on your insurance policy and cash it in by jumping off a bridge. Who's the better problem solver? (laughs) Jumping off a bridge thinking your wife's going to collect on the insurance. Or praying and then calling some friends. What do you think? Okay. She doesn't require an entire town to acknowledge her worth. Wow. Wow. All right. 
What do you think? Comments and questions about those observations. Now, by the way, can we flip it and, and, and show the really amazing things that George, yes, he saved his little brother, you know, when he fell through the ice, and yes, that little brother grew to be a war hero and, and shot down some kamikazes in World War II, which saved an entire ship of men. Yes, yes, George did an amazing thing. Literally got slapped around by a drunken druggist who just lost his, his son, and the drunk druggist is writing a script that would have killed somebody, and this little 12-year-old boy caught it and said, Mr. Gower, no, I can't deliver this myth. I mean, what 12-year-old boy has that kind of sense? You know, so we could go on about the heroic acts of him. But simply put, hey, there's another hero in the story. And her name is Mary Hatchbury. Anybody, questions, comments about this? See, it's so boring. And movies, come on. What's that? Did you have? Yes. We got to get you married off, Alan. We got to get you married off. So, so somebody else. Yes. She found joy in the simple things. Mm. Say that again. That was good. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that good? Yeah. There's some real practical sense in there. Yeah. Right. A bottle of wine, salt, and bread. Yeah, to bless that home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was good. She also saw value in George over someone like Sam Wainwright, who had never answered. So she essentially chose security and a predictable path forward for the sake of everything that was listed up here. This idea of making a home and a family and a house that was run down, living in a town that really didn't have much to offer in terms of progression. She could have lived in New York. Yeah. At the same time, her love for George, not because of what he did, but because of who he was that night after the dance and how she fell in love with the men, that's what she valued when she saw a life with him. Mm-hmm. Again, not because of the things that he could provide for her, but because of what they could provide each other. A wise woman builds her house, but not. A foolish one tears it down. In a way, there were two rundown houses that needed to be remodeled. Who were the two rundown houses, or what were they? It was George in the house. So this woman is helping to remodel two things. Yeah. George was beaten up by life and thought, like you said, um, Sloan, real life happens out in some dramatic, way cool thing, you know, uh, touring the south pacific or building giant scrapers skyscrapers or bridges or something no no it's running a little building and loan outfit in a little town in bedford falls yeah yeah somebody else mother's day and mary hatch bailey as another hero heroine in the movie anybody else what do you think what's that yeah. 
She's got... She helped her house endure. I love that. Hold it together. What else? Yes, yeah. She really did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, so the writers, Batura and, and Hess, said something really interesting about, about the movie. By the way, trivia, the FBI, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the 40s, there was a whole, uh, a whole movement that communism was coming into the U.S., Anybody remember that? Alan, remember that? Any history buffs? And guess where the portal was? Where communism was working its way into the U.S. culture. This is true. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not telling anything odd. Wrong? Wrong? Hollywood. Hollywood. Is that what you said? Okay, okay, okay. Your accent, Joe, is so heavy. I mean, you're playing Martin, so come on. Um, Hollywood, and so the FBI scrutinized the film, and guess what they said? Communist propaganda is in this movie. They actually said that. Yeah, yeah. Nuts. Yeah, actually, that's true. That's true. Did they specify which point? Yes, uh, the negativity toward uh, Potter, Harry Potter. Uh, uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> it's a different movie, you know. Uh, Mr. Potter. Yeah, all that negativity toward a bank, you know. Is, is, uh, yes, sir. One thing she also didn't do was belittle him or make him feel like it's his fault on anything. She actually was supportive, but did confront him. Yeah. But did not yeah. do it in a way that was breaking down. It was more of a, kind of like a stop and, yeah. and think for a moment. Yeah. Nothing, nothing breaking down or tearing down. That's really good, David. She doesn't berate him, belittle, yeah, shame. And her, her character throughout was, she was her, while she was connected to George, she also maintained a level of independence. Like, if you watch the scene where she gives their honeymoon money away, she doesn't just go, here, George, give it to them. But she goes, how much do you need? Like, her energy, the ability to make that decision... Yeah. She knew because she knew George and how much he cared about the building alone. Yeah. She knew that this is not going to be a problem because I'm, I not only endorse what he's doing, but I want to be a part of this. And her, the way that she actually, her act, her acting showed that she was not only supportive but energetic and and, and endorsing that idea, endorsing yeah. what George wanted to do, not for him but for the sake of what he valued. Yeah, Patch, you're speaking such wisdom. When you think about it, if, if she got George by the collar and said, I am tired of this building and loan, I'm tired. We're getting out of here. It's our honeymoon. Let it fall apart, George. Grabs him, forces him back in a cab with, with Bert, and, or Ernie rather, and then and off they go to catch a plane ride, right, and do their thing, and the building and loan collapse. When George got back from the honeymoon, what would, what would have happened to George Bailey? She knew. I think she knew that, Pat. That's very insightful. That for the long haul of stability, 
Better save the building and loan because you can honeymoon later. Yes. Which ties back to <clears throat> she didn't need to leave and go on a honeymoon. She was perfectly content just getting on with her newly married life right there. Yeah, yeah. And that amazing scene with a record player, it's got a rotisserie chicken. That's their honeymoon night at the Granville, and it's, and it's leaking like a sieve. And you've got Bert and Ernie, and they're trying to throw wallpaper up on posters up on everything to make it look, look great. And then that amazing duet that I love you truly, truly dear. Some of the best singing out there. So anybody else on why this stuff matters? By the way, we're having a group counseling session in case you don't know it. And also, by the way, the Apostle Paul grabbed secular writers of his day and used them to apply Christian truth to his churches. He does that in 1 Corinthians 15 when he writes, he quotes Menander, who was a secular playwright out of Greek culture. Pretty fascinating that he does that. And he also does it in Philippians too. So, um, so we're just, this is just good stuff. Anybody else on why this matters? Ideas about about what it means to be a wise mom. Because that's what we're talking about, being a wise mother. Anybody else? Chris, you got your eyebrows well, together. Now be careful. You're not sure guarding your ribs. Put that elbow tie, down. Tie into that. But in the same sense, I keep going back to any old or older movie, how that play would play out with today's yeah. um, overlay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know that the that the movie would play out the same today with societal and, yeah. and social media and yeah. all the, the hoopla. Yeah, I agree. Uh, by the way, uh, and I I lost my train of thought, getting tripped up on the FBI thing. But uh, what Batura and Hess were saying was that when you got to see the town in its in its alternate reality where. Mr. Potter owns everything. Do you remember that? And half the town's a graveyard because, you know, George didn't save his brother and the brother didn't save the ship from the, the, the kamikaze attacks and all that stuff. What, what is the, the fate of Mary Hatch? What is her fate? Nope. No, no, that's not, that's not the mother. This is Mary Hatch. She becomes an old maid and has to settle on what? Sticking a few pencils in the back of her knot back there and becoming a librarian. How horrible is that? <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> but you can see from the way that she acts in the alternate reality how timid she is. Like yeah. The way yeah. that she postures herself is very yeah. closed, yep. closed off. Yep. George obviously she freaks out, but I think about it, freak out. But him coming at her like that. But, but she's like, I don't know who you are, and she, she runs. Like she's very timid. Does it take courage to marry a man that you know is flawed? Does it take courage to marry a man that you know needs as much internal remodeling as the old Granville house? Does it take courage to do that and to raise kids and somebody's always has a snotty nose and a fever? And what's up with poopy diapers? By the way, by the way, speaking of poopy diapers, I changed another poopy diaper. I'm pulling my weight on the Perry farm, and it was nasty. Evelyn Margot can do it. I'm telling you. Mm. Mm. Does anybody have a hazmat suit and like a respirator? 
that I can, I can do that with. That'd be great. I know. It's bad. And she waits until I'm around. So. <laughs> so. A wise woman builds her house. The foolish one tears it down with her own hands. And you can interpret that Hebrew word, build, bana. She makes it endure. She holds it together. She's the one that functions like glue. When George Bailey was falling apart, it was Mary that held it together. A lot of courage, Patch, to do what she did. A lot of courage. Anybody else on why this matters? Anybody online, Stephen? Yeah, yeah, that's a great that's a great question, Branson. And um, you guys muscle in on that. What do you do when you're in a bad marriage, and and you're trying to remodel your spouse, and they're not fixable? From your perspective, at least, they're not fixable. And you go, crud, I'm stuck. You know, I have the fear of missing out on a good marriage, and you know, ugh, I'm in it. What do you do? What? Remodel yourself. Okay. Anybody else? What do you do? Boundaries. Boundaries? Okay, limits. Yeah. Then you pray. What's that? Uh, I was going to say you got to dig deep, deep, deep into empathy and listening. Empathy, listening. I agree, Nathan. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Model grace and kindness. Yeah. With yeah. boundaries and. Yeah. I think in, in worrying about your own house, I think there's a lot of times <laughs> that, that can cause people to uh, feel conviction. Yeah, that is so good. Um, so basic principle when I when I'm doing therapy, basic. A basic idea is called self agency. All right, which means. I am doing everything that I can to help a client realize that they can make choices. They get to have authority to make a decision that best benefits them. Now that's critical. Um, uh, as is my habit uh, for, my, for my clients who are Christian, and they most all of them are, uh, or if they're not, they don't mind that I am. And I always say, can I have your permission to pray? And they almost always say, well, sure. And then I ask, is, can I have your permission if we do a scan on your symptoms and just kind of see where you are? Like, how bad is your depression this week or something like that? So I'm, and I constantly say, can I have your permission? Is it okay if I do this? Would you mind? Why is that smart on my part? Why is that smart? Right? Keep going. What? It's a buy-in, certainly, but it's a boundary. Exactly, especially if there's trauma histories and there's abuse, and they had they can't say to their mother, "Mommy, stop abusing me." 
mommy, no, or daddy, no, daddy, stop. And they can't. What's that? And they didn't have a voice then, but I'm going to give it to them now. And so I'm actually uh, guiding them in practicing the ability that they can say no. Right? Or they can say yes, which is so important to do that, especially with, with trauma patients. Super high with that. So, all right. Why does it make sense? You ready for the big one? Can you obey for your spouse? <laughs> no. If your husband doesn't want to be remodeled, you can't make it happen. You can't. And if you do, typically you're going to push your husband away, right? You can't remodel your spouse, your wife, and make her into your image. You know, the two shall become one. Which one? Hopefully yours, right? And if they're just like you, you win. Well, what's that? Amen, brother. Amen. You know. And then and you go to God and you say, God, it's that woman you gave me. And, and that fixes it, right? I did not mean to say it that way. Oh, boy, it didn't work out right. So, yeah. Justin, you're right, though. There's a third person. You bring Jesus into the relationship, and that makes all the difference. Yeah. All right. A wise woman builds her house, helps her house endure, holds her house together. A foolish one tears it down with her own hands. So anybody else? One more. We're done. Is that it? Yes. You need to become a marriage counselor. Thank you. Right there. I'm going to send them to you. Figure out the reasonable spot. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, let's do some bragging. Yes, sir, go ahead. I was just going to add one more thing. It's kind of, I think looking at Mary and looking at George, and I am not a big, like this is not a movie I would say I would quote on a regular basis. So I'm you wouldn't? Into this. Uh, you wouldn't do Die Hard. That's not even a Christmas movie. Everybody knows that. Like, you know, we, we, have, we have a color movies now, so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but I know what Joe Mo means. Well, it's but it's fine. I, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, is that Mary, to me, typifies somebody who does not feel entitled. Um, oh. she, she, she seems to be the kind of person who has gratitude for the things that she has as opposed to the upset feelings of things that she doesn't. And I think I think in a lot of ways, George is trying to maximize his life, right? Like, he's always looking for, how do I maximize my life? And I think that gets a lot of us in a lot of trouble in life. And I think it also, you know, Paul would say something to the effect of, you know, do you, do you not have a, a strong sense of gratitude towards what the Lord has done for you already? You know what I mean? Oh, I do. And I think she probably walks with that a lot more than he does. And, and I think you see the lagging indicator is, is who has more joy, hmm. right? Who's happy? And at the end of the day, I don't think you go back and reflect on your life on all the things you should have had or that you didn't get. I think you reflect on the things that matter the most. Hmm. And, uh, and so I, I just think she, there's a lot of wisdom in how she carries herself in that she's probably focused more on the things that are important, the be important, as opposed to the things that are not. So. Good, good. And you don't like the movie. 
I think, do you think that we need to, as a church, pray for me? Not, not only that, but give him a discipleship assignment. Just go home and watch that movie three times. Three times, right? Oh, that's another one. Yeah, yeah. Bells of St. Mary. That's a good one, too. Oh, was that a close one? Miracle on the Oh, yes, yes, yes. Clarence caught his wings. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. He's second class. What's that? He's a talking star. Yes, yes. They didn't have computer-generated graphics back then, Pat. They were struggling. <laughs> Somebody with a flashlight was standing behind a, a, little, a little star. So, all right. Uh, let's do this. Let's brag for just a little bit. Men, come on, step up. What are some ways you've seen your, your wife act like Mary Bailey? Matt, this is your moment right now. This is it. It's all... This is the moment, Matt. Matt, come on, Matt. Matt, don't let us down, brother. She's the glue. That's good. Somebody else. How has your your spouse acted like Mary Bailey? I'm going to use that this week. I think, hey, that, that, that bullet fits my gun. I like that. Those, the little sounds these mothers make. So, someone else. Brag on your yes, question. Brag on my wife. Um, how many times have I just acted like yours? Just come home angry, frustrated from work, just act like a doofus, you know? And she's just had grace and love and patience where I have not been deserving. It's like what turns people to repentance, you know, is love. Yeah, yeah Romans 2. That is so good, Branson. Somebody else. How was your spouse at the end? I, I would say random with a lot of the stuff that either we put ourselves into or um, I, I allow us to go into. Um, she handles it with grace that I, I can't really uh, bring about myself. Yeah. Um, she, she's an encourager even, even when I'm not wanting to be encouraged. <laughs> but she does it in such a way that it, you can't complain about being encouraged and you can't resist it. You just act. 
Um, and as far as a mother, she is she's spot on. Despite anything that we're going through, like remodeling the house um, and living in an Airbnb and a hotel and getting out of our apartment, <clears throat> all in the size and the, in the capacity of a week, um, and doing all the movement and. She just handled it with, and mother, and wow. we got the kids to school, and we, yeah, it, she just, she rocks all of Wow, that's, that is so cool. That is so cool. Galen. I'd say Tammy tends to be like a standard bearer, whether it be from a selflessness perspective or a leadership, you know, I may want to go up and down, and she's like, no, this is the line, this is where we'll be. Beautiful. Somebody else. How has your wife been like? So we say opposites track. And we're opposites. But yeah, we complement each other. Yeah. And so we're out strong, she's weak, she's strong, yeah. So we we mesh together. Yeah. So when I get out of bounds, she pulls me back, she gets out of bounds. Oh there we go. so good. Um, Lisa, you have been to Mary Bailey for decades. <laughs> decades. Holding it together. Uh, here's something about Lisa that you don't know about. Rebecca, you do know about this. Um, I, you know, I've been doing this for 40 years, I guess, close to it. And because of the, the nature of the workload, uh, every Saturday is always a work day. Why? Because Sunday is the rainmaking day. It better happen. Sunday better be good, right? Well, that ain't going to happen unless, you know, by the grace of God, and you're working hard on Saturday. So what time does a, does a real man of God get to the church on, Saturday, uh, on Sunday morning? What time do you get there? Five minutes before church starts? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Hours before church starts. So what does that mean for Lisa? Janie, Pete, <laughs> Zuzu. All, she's got to get it all together. Get them bathed, clothed, fed everything by herself. Pack them in the car, right? 
and, and right as little Catherine is right here and Lisa's doing this, and she's like, okay, Becca, let's go, we're loading. That's when Catherine goes, boom, yeah. and, and it's running down Lisa's dress. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I'm Do you have to tell him to, to get out of the house and go ride his bike? You got the kids all day, buddy. Yeah, see, this is so male. You would have gone on a 120-mile bike ride. You'd have blown the soot out and did it in four hours, and your metrics are off. And you'd feel so good about this day. And then there's her. Ooh. I let that part But you feel good about the ride, though. We just went with the affirming side. Yeah. You're a smart man. You're a smart man. All right, all right. <laughs> Anybody online, Stephen? Okay. So, um, all of you, thank you so very, very much. And um, uh, hmm. a wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down to their own hands. Yeah. Who can find a godly woman? Her worth is above rubies, the price of rubies. She's an amazing, amazing woman. By the way, a little hint at what's to come on the Lord's Supper. Um, when Leonardo da Vinci, Leonardo da Vinci, just two things you need to know about him. First of all, he got it wrong on who was at the Lord's Supper. He got it wrong. Yeah. Uh, critical scholars whom I trust completely. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And most likely other women. And does anybody know what the last thing that was actually spoken at the Lord's Supper, the last words? Does anybody know? 
that if you want in the picture, you need to be on this side of the table. <laughs> you didn't know that. Yeah, that oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good, good things are coming. I'm excited, and there's so much to learn about the about the Eucharist. Had a really good conversation with a, with the an Episcopal priest yesterday. Finally got through. He's an old friend, and chatted it up with him. It's so much to share. It's exciting. Listen, I want to pray and bless you, and, and ask God's favor as we sing. Um, Lord, thank you so much for the encouragement today. Thank you for moms and all the ways they sacrifice and they serve and they literally hold the home together. Uh, They're the glue. They're building the homes. Thank you for the moms here. Um, Thank you for the women here who they don't have kids, but they're still functioning like moms and they're loving and caring for those babies. And thank you. We need them. Abba Father, bless us right now and get our hearts ready to sing love songs to you. In Jesus' name, amen.